0: Please take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 10, verse 32. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. I'll be reading from verses 32 to 45. This is what Holy Scripture says. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called to them, called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: As you know, Christmas is just around the corner tends to be a very busy and hectic time. I'm, I'm sure that there are some of you in here who are feeling quite stressful, all you last minute Christmas shoppers. Christmas is that time of the year that is uniquely characterized by the giving and the receiving of gifts. I mean, when you think about it, there really is no other holiday quite like it. So much of our Christmas tradition revolves around gifts, and it's exciting, it's, it's, it's fun, it's, it's a joy to both be able to give gifts to others and receive gifts from others. I mean, I love buying, my, uh, I love buying gifts for my children and just watching their little brains explode. It's, they, they just love it. But there is a danger that comes with the giving and the receiving of gifts, and it's that we become so preoccupied with the physical gifts themselves. But every year as we engage in the exchange of gifts, we ought to do so always remembering that we have been given a greater gift from God above. We are now in part two of our short Christmas series titled Why We Should Love Jesus. Last week, if you were here with us, we talked about what he is like, what Jesus is like. He is gentle and lowly. Next week, we're gonna look at who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. He is the only Son of God. But today, I want us to reflect on what He did. What is it that Jesus did? Well, Jesus gave us the greatest gift of all. He gave us himself so that we would have eternal life. And the thing that we have to understand is that this wasn't some kind of cheap gift. This gift came with the ultimate price tag. Our Lord Jesus purchased this gift by paying for it with his very own life. Jesus gave his life as a ransom so that we would be given the gift of eternal life. And what I want to do this morning is carefully reflect on this truth by primarily focusing our attention on this single verse, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. If you've been in a church for some time, then this would be a familiar passage to you. Let me read it again. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this morning, I'm going to unpack that verse for us. But before we do that, it's important that we first consider what prompted Jesus to say these words. What what was going on in the immediate context for Jesus to say such a profound statement? And this is where we need to begin at the start of this episode. Uh, You just heard a few minutes ago Pastor Tristan read for us um, about how Jesus was foretelling for, for his, his coming death. And this was the third time that He did this. And, and it's remarkable that every time Jesus foretells His death, the disciples say and do something incredibly foolish. And this time, it's no different. Look with me at verse 35. Jesus foretold His death the third time, verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Him and said to Him, Teacher, We want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in glory. Now Mark organizes the story this way, Jesus foretelling his death and and, and the sons of Zebedee asking for these places of honor because he wants us to feel something of the great difference of values between his disciples and and himself, and Jesus. Here is Jesus talking about how he's going to be condemned, how he's going to be mocked, spat on, flogged, and killed, and then you have two of his closest disciples who are talking about wanting to be placed in the highest seats of honor, in his glory. They didn't want to be grouped among the common people of the kingdom of God. They wanted to be seated amongst royalty and be in a position where they can have authority over others, I mean, you can't help but think that this is an incredibly arrogant, audacious, and insensitive request, especially after Jesus talked about for the third time how he was going to lay down his life. And in response to this, Jesus basically says, no. If you go down to verse 40, Jesus says, but to sit at my right hand and at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Jesus tells them that these seats of honor are already reserved. Now, we don't know for for who. The, 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 The Bible doesn't give us any indication of who is going to be seated in those places, but that doesn't really matter because it's not the point of this text. Jesus is far more concerned about teaching his disciples an important lesson about the virtues and the values of his kingdom. And this wasn't going to be just a lesson for James and John, the two people who asked this question, but it was going to be for all of his disciples. Verse 41, and when the 10 heard it, the 10 other disciples, they began to be indignant at James and John. And so you can see there that there is this internal tension and bitterness that is beginning to erupt in the disciples, probably because they either felt jealous or they felt left out. Either way, they didn't like what was being asked by James and John, and so they start to fight amongst one another. And and seeing this, verse 42, Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Jesus begins his important lesson by first describing how the unbelieving world tends to utilize power and authority. The the, the way the world uses these things is is in a domineering way. It's it's often oppressive, it's tyrannical, it's self-serving. Rulers of this world love to be in high positions because they can exploit their subjects and rule over them with a heavy hand. And by saying this, Jesus was essentially showing his disciples that that their desire for rank, power, status, and position and honor was so much more tied to the priorities of this world than to the priorities of the kingdom of Christ. And he basically rebuked them for it by saying, next in verse 43, But it shall not be so among you, my disciples but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. You see, what Jesus is doing here by saying these words is he's rejecting the the, the model of leadership and authority of the world, and he is establishing his own model. To use Pastor Tim's words, the kingdom of Christ is an upside-down kingdom. It's a kingdom that goes against the current of this world. It's a kingdom that confounds the minds of rulers and authorities. It is a kingdom where things are reversed. In Jesus' kingdom, greatness isn't recognized by one's status, but by one's service. Jesus is less concerned about your position in life. He is far more concerned about the posture of your heart. So, what about you? If Jesus came and he took a look at your life, would he be able to say right now in this moment that you are great in the kingdom of heaven? Brothers and sisters, if you want to be great in the eyes of King Jesus, then be devoted to a life of sacrificial service. Be devoted to a life of sacrificial service. This isn't just a theoretical principle in the kingdom of God. This is a pattern that is powerfully displayed and firmly established by King Jesus himself. What Jesus says, he does. What Jesus preaches, he lives out. And that brings us to the final verse, which is our main focus for today, verse 45. But let me read from verse 42 again so that you see the flow of his lesson here. Verse 42. We decided to start this short Christmas series so that our love for Jesus would grow. And what we want to do in this series is is simply show you more of Jesus Christ. And today, what I want us to consider and what I want us to reflect on are the three things Jesus did from the verse in order to fuel our love for Christ So first, Jesus came for sinners, and secondly, we're going to see that Jesus came to serve sinners, and lastly, Jesus served sinners by giving his very life for them. So beginning, point number one, Jesus came for sinners. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man came. The first thing that we have to notice here is that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. Interestingly enough, this is his favorite self-designation that he used in the Gospels. He, he calls himself the Son of Man more than he does any other title that we have in the Gospels. Now, in the most basic sense, the title Son of Man refers to his humanity. To be a Son of Man means to be a human. To be a human means to be a Son of Man, Next week, our brother Patrick is going to preach on the deity of Christ, how Jesus truly is the Son of God. Son of God refers to Christ's deity, therefore, Son of Man refers to Christ's humanity. Now, I think that's a simple and helpful way of understanding these two important titles, but that doesn't take us far enough into a full, comprehensive understanding of this title, Son of Man. For, for people in Jesus' time who were knowledgeable and well-versed in the Old Testament, the title Son of Man would have surely reminded them of a particular text that is recorded for us in the book of Daniel. So you can come with me if you'd like, or you can just listen. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. Daniel has this grand vision of heavenly things, and he says, verse 13, I saw in the night visions When we understand the title Son of Man against the backdrop of this heavenly vision, then we understand that Jesus was no mere man, but Jesus was an exalted man, one who would be given all power and authority, which then makes what he says in Mark chapter 10 powerful and profound. By using the title Son of Man for himself, he's saying that the prophesied Son of Man is here, and he is the one who would rule on the highest throne in the greatest places of honor in an unshakable, unbeatable kingdom, but he will not selfishly and cruelly rule over his people. Even though he would have all the power and authority in the world, he will not be like the rulers of this world. Remember, this is the same Jesus that is gentle and lowly in heart. Although he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he invites his people to come to him so that they may find rest for their weary souls. But understand this, that the one who calls you to come to himself is the one who already came. Jesus isn't calling you to come to him and go on this long um, pilgrimage, spiritual pilgrimage, and and go look for him in a place where he cannot be found, where he cannot be reached. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man came. He is calling you to come to him because he is already here. Jesus came. And, And I think it's just worth pausing right there for a moment and considering the significance of that one little word. Jesus came. Jesus actually came. Do you know what that means? That means he did not remain in heaven. That means he did not turn a deaf ear to the cries of his helpless people. He didn't look away from our broken situation, but he set his sights on his people and he chased after them. This is what Christmas is all about, isn't it? This is a season where we rejoice as we remember the coming of Christ our King. He came down to rescue us despite knowing exactly who we are and despite knowing exactly what we've done. You know, sometimes I I think we can reflect on our lives and think if people knew us for who we really were, if people knew what was going on in our minds and in our hearts and all the wickedness that was truly inside of us, no one could ever love us. No one could ever love me. No one would want to be near me. No one would want to come and rescue me. But listen, listen, Jesus knows all of that, and he still came for his people. He still drew near, and he is calling you to come to his arms that are wide open to accept you as you are and to embrace you and to love you with an infinite and unfathomable love that will never come to an end. We would be lost if Jesus did not come. We would have no hope if Jesus chose to remain and leave us be. But the good news is that Jesus did come. Jesus came in real flesh and blood, and he came with a purpose, a purpose that was so clearly seen in his life of service to others. So here's point number two Jesus served sinners. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Now, the reason why I I had Pastor Tristan read for us that that, that whole passage and the reason why we took time in the beginning of the service to look at the context was so that you would be able to see this incredibly stark contrast between the brothers and Jesus. You have on the one hand the sons of Zebedee and they have their hearts set on serving self. And then on the other hand, you have the Son of Man and his heart is set on serving others. You have the sons of Zebedee that are thinking about what they can get and then you have the son of man who is thinking about what he can give. In other words, Jesus completely crushes their self-centered desires by revealing to them that he came for the opposite reason. He didn't come to sit back on a comfy throne and have everyone just bring everything to him and do everything for him. Even though Jesus was truly the only one in a position to enjoy the service of every single human being, he came to serve others. And we see this all throughout the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, don't we? He teaches from town to town. He gives sight to the blind. He heals the leper. He raises the paralytic. He feeds the hungry. He casts out demons. He brings the dead back to life. He even washed his disciples' feet. And One of the things that we have to understand about that day and culture was doing something like washing someone else's feet was something only slaves did for their masters. And here you have, have Jesus, the master of the universe, who ties a towel around his waist, he pours water into a basin, and he goes from disciple to disciple washing their stinky fisherman feet. What Jesus said is so true that he came not to be served, but he came to serve. And his ministry was absolutely filled with evidence of faithful service and acts of loving kindness for others. But get this, the ultimate display of Christ's servant heart wasn't seen in his life, but it was ultimately seen in his death. Jesus came for sinners Jesus served sinners. Jesus gave his life for sinners. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. There is a problem that every human being from every age and every generation faces. And here's how Jesus sums it all up. In John chapter 8, verse 34, He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. If you sin, that is proof that you are a slave to sin. If you have broken any of God's commands, if you have done what is evil in his sight, then that is evidence that you are in bondage to sin. And sin is costly. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. The wages of sin is death. Death is the cost of sin. It's the payment that must be made for sin. So, so here is the universal problem. Here is the great plight of humanity that we are alienated from God, that we are enslaved to sin, and that we are subjected to death. That is a problem that all of us have. And if left alone, we would have no hope for escape. What we need, what we ultimately need is for someone from the outside to powerfully intervene and rescue us and praise the Lord. That is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. That word ransom generally refers to a sum of money that is paid um, for the release of someone in captivity It could be payment made to free a slave, or it could be payment made to secure the release of someone who was captured or kidnapped. My sister-in-law lives in Honduras. She's been there as a missionary, uh, and she plans to be there for the long term. Uh, She lives there with her husband and two little kids, and she used to work for a private school there. Uh, If you know anything about (laughs) Tugelsacapa, Honduras, I think that's how you say it escape me. Um, It used to be the, the, the homicide capital of the world. And that's where she went to be a missionary. And she used to work at this private school. And because it's a private school, all the students that go there are from wealthy families. And so many of the students are actually driven into the school compound in bulletproof vehicles because they are often the targets of hostile kidnapping. Criminals would try very hard to kidnap um, some of these, these kids, and if successful, they would demand millions and millions and millions of dollars in exchange for the life of the child. The millions and millions of dollars, that is the ransom payment. That is the cost to secure the freedom of the one held in captivity. And since we are enslaved to our own sin and since the cost of, of, of sin is death, death is the ransom that must be paid if we are to ever be forgiven and set free. That means there is no amount of money or, or no amount of riches that can ever be enough to pay for the sins that we have committed against the holy God. There is no dollar sign or dollar figure on this ransom price. There is only blood. Blood. And either we pay that with our own lives or the only other hope that we have is for someone else to pay that ransom for us. But there's still a problem. One of the things that we learn from the scriptures is that this can't be paid by any normal human being. In Psalm 49, verse seven, the psalmist writes, truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. Do you know what that means? That means I can't pay the ransom for you and you can't pay the ransom for me. The cost is too great for any of us to pay in ourselves. But later on in that same psalm, Psalm 49, in verse 15, the psalmist goes on to say, but God, but God. Every time you see those words, but God, you know something good is about to happen. Truly no man can ransom another, verse 15, but God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol. What is impossible for man is possible for God. What, what we cannot do to pay that ransom, God is able to do. He alone can pay the ransom, and he does by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to lay down his life because he would be able to pay that ransom in full. Jesus willingly takes all of our sins, and he stands in the place of death so that he would be the perfect substitute And on that cross where he was crucified, he would experience more than just a physical death. On that cross, Jesus would experience the fullness of God's holy and just wrath so that justice, real justice, would be satisfied. And the ransom would be paid in full. And that sinners would be set free forever. Do you know what Jesus says shortly after saying, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin? Right there, he's, he's presenting the, the great plight of humanity. That is the bad news. But then just two verses later, he says in John chapter 8, verse 36, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Listen, no one is stopping the plans and purposes of King Jesus. If he wants to set you free, he will set you free. Here is the ultimate display of Christ's servant heart. He died for our sins, and he gave his life as a ransom for many. Did you catch what I just said there? Did you catch what the last word was of this verse? It does not say that Jesus gave his life as a ransom for all, but it says he gave his life as a ransom for many That tells us that Jesus did not give his life as a ransom for everyone. I do not believe that the sacrificial death of Christ brings about a universal salvation. There are people who will not be rescued from their enslavement to sin. There are people who will not be saved from death and condemnation. And so the question that we're left with is who are the many? Who are the ones that are truly set free by Jesus Christ? And the simple, basic answer to that question is all those who repent and believe in the gospel. Friends, if that is something that you have done, if you are here today as someone who has repented of their sins and put their trust, your whole trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you can be assured that Christ has ransomed your life you can rest secure in the reality that Jesus has truly set you free. Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. That was the goal. We can say that the goal of the gospel was your freedom from sin, and Jesus has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You know, I think Paul writes that to the Galatian church and really to all the churches because we have this awful propensity to revert back to a gospel of works. He knows that we have this internal weakness in all of us that wants to work out our salvation by doing good things. We want to earn our our salvation by doing good things. And the Lord knows this and he wants us to remember that you are simply free because of the grace of Christ. And one of the most important ways that we remember is by taking the Lord's Supper together. In just a moment, in just a few moments, we as believers will eat the bread and drink from the cup as a way of remembering Christ. Together, we will remember his body that bore our sins. And together, we will remember his blood that was shed to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as we do this, my brothers and sisters in Christ, simply remember Jesus and rest in the gospel of grace. Preach to your own heart that you are set free from the bondage to sin. Sin has no power over you in Christ because he gave his life as a ransom for you. But to those of you who, who are here and you have not repented and you have not believed on Christ, then it would be inappropriate for you to participate in this Lord's Supper because this is only for those who have identified with Christ and have joined, been joined to Him by faith. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, then the most important thing that you need to understand right now is that you are currently enslaved to sin. That is your reality. That is the reality, the reality that we all once faced. And, and no amount of good works done by you will be able to save you. No amount of money will be able to pay the ransom cost. No amount of skills or abilities or talents that you have will be able to deliver you. All of these things are meaningless before a holy God. But that doesn't mean there is no hope for you. There is hope hope because of jesus christ he died on the cross in order to serve and save sinners from condemnation and death jesus is the only one who can free you from your bondage to sin and grant you everlasting life earlier i read for us romans chapter 6 verse 23 it says for the wages of sin is death but that's not how the verse ends there is a part two of that verse, and it goes like this. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. There's the bad news, but here is The 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 great news of the gift of everlasting life, rescue from sin and everlasting life is a gift that God freely offers to you. And all that you have to do is turn away from your sins. That's what it means to repent and put your trust in Jesus Christ. That is how you accept this precious gift of eternal life. So come to the one who already came. Come to the humble king who served faithfully. Come to the son of man who gave his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. So Father, I do pray that we would heed these words and that we would walk in obedience to this call. Help us to come to you in order to accept that precious and free gift of everlasting life purchased by the blood of Christ, Oh Lord, we thank you that you sent Jesus to, to come in real flesh and blood that he might save people who are made of flesh and blood. Lord, give us grace to, to believe in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray, amen.